and we're back. Uh, it is so. Yeah, welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends, no matter how much you wish it would. This is Two Track Audio. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts with the Mo-Host. I'm Charles Einer. Sitting across from me is the illustrious Nick Martin, uh, also a co-host. I wonder if we're facing each other. You know, we've never discussed that. I'm currently facing... Okay, we're probably we're definitely not facing each other because you're north you're northeast of me. I'm I'm next. Yeah, I think, I think it's I think it's I am facing. We could be facing each other let me, theoretically, let me think but about this. we aren't. I know that directly to my right is east, um, just about. So I am facing uh, north, I guess. Take my dreams, put them down. Two track audio with Nick and Charles. Okay, yeah, yes. no, you're directly so, so to am, my I'm, left is east. I'm so I'm facing not south. facing you because I'm facing like we're Canada. facing. Our backs are to each other. Yeah, well, that's 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 how it is, ladies and gentlemen. That's that's the we're one of these um like the the monkeys where they all have like a separate tour bus and they uh, would <laughs> would uh, when they would stop for the night they would they would line them up so that none of the entrances would the you know entrances and exits would face each other so they never had to see each other except when they were on stage that's the way that Nick and I are of this podcast yeah. <laughs> we never communicate except for on air which I guess that that's almost true actually we don't have like a that kind of a relationship but I I guess the, the, the podcast is our is our means of staying connected I, I guess it is just kind of how we hang out how, how are things going with you nick on that note yeah no life's good um i smoked a little tobacco last night uh just Mm. just a a cigar or two and i ended up uh feeling queasy like the whole night long but my uh my wife is pregnant right now Mm. which means that we have uh little like ginger pills in the house so i took a ginger pill this morning cleared it right up so so how are you doing uh what i'm hearing is you overindulged and then stole your pregnant wife's means of combating morning sickness that's what i'm hearing (laughs) yeah yeah that's one way of looking at it um yeah Sure. The most charitable hey, so, read for sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm just yeah. kidding. I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, uh, okay, so I'm I'm going to lead off this segment today. So we're going to start the show with this because uh, I want to I want to tease uh, another project we're working on. Mm. So so Charles, what you sipping? Well, I'm afraid what I'm sipping actually doesn't really work for this. I I <laughs> am uh, sipping a cup of Lady Grey tea. Uh, there you go. At the okay. That said, I love a hot beverage in the morning, uh, as as do many Americans. What about you, Nick? What are you sipping? Yeah, well, I'm actually drinking sparkling water, but that also doesn't apply. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, <laughs> that being we are said, uncharacteristic. Oh yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, uh, Charles was saying we're we're uncharacteristically hopped up. For one thing, we're recording in the morning, which is unique to us. We normally record at night. For another thing, we're kind of hopped up, and the reason yep. is because we just finished recording our first episode of a new podcast. We don't know when it's going to drop quite yet, so you'll have to keep a lookout for that. It may be out by the time this episode comes out. Who knows? But sure. would you like to introduce it, Charles? 
Yes, so we are uh, going to be with the uh, the excellently titled. Uh, our new project has the excellent title of a uh, store bought coffee, and it is exactly what it sounds like. We will be reviewing coffees that one might find reasonably at a supermarket. Uh, so, 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 some just like bags of coffee. Uh, we're both big coffee fans. We don't know anything about coffee really. Um, so, if it you wanna, exists. Did you know? It, it does exist. It does and exist. That you can and buy you can it. Drink, drink it. it. You can't drink the beans. Now, I tried that once, and it did not work out. You can't drink the beans. You have to do some other stuff to it before it's drinkable. You have to, like, melt them. You have to they, melt they, the beans first. They don't do all the work for you, um, but these coffee companies. But, hey, you know, if you want to hear two regular guys, two regular Joes talk about some regular Joe. Oh, that's the tagline. That's the tagline right there. Two regular Joes talk about some regular Joe. Uh, check it out wherever you get podcasts. Um, I guess that's not actually true. There are some places where you get podcasts where we aren't uh, – but like on, you know, we're most, I mean, or Spotify or, or the, the, the big ones. I guess we're not on like Stitcher or something. But uh, um, in any case, check it out. Store-bought coffee Actually, with Nick and Charles. Yeah. You know what? Now now you've got me wondering because I uh, I went back into our directories list to see where we were and where we weren't recently. I believe we're listed on Stitcher. Oh, no um, way. Oh, I'll have to li- I'll have to, list- I'll have to subscribe on that. That's that's the app that I mostly use for podcasts. Um I'm a Stitcher Premium subscriber um, because I'm serious about this shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's see here. Let's see if we're on. Uh, So what are we what are we talking about today, Charles? This is great radio. <laughs> Let's see what. Um, uh, anyway, so today we are talking about we're 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 dipping back as we so often do into the world of seventies prog rock, sixties and seventies prog rock. Only today we're kind of taking a turn away from what I think of as sort of like the lighter, not in terms of like light as in lightweight, but light as in like bright or like. Um, uh, uh, relatively like uh, uh, positive seeming, I suppose, prog rock bands like Emerson, Lake and Palmer. This is, of course, an Emerson, Lake and Palmer podcast. Um, or Yes, or Genesis. We're taking a turn to the dark side of English prog with a couple of bands that we like to call King Crimson and Vandergraaf Generator. Um, so we're going to be talking about a couple songs from them. We're talking about a, a 21st Century Schizoid Man, a classic, maybe the classic King Crimson track, um, you know, uh, the opening track off their opening album. Uh, and we're also going to be talking about Man Erg from Man Hyphen Erg from uh, uh, ha- the, the, the quite excellent Pawn Hearts by, by Vandergraaf Generator. Um, so, Nick, uh, I, now I am a pretty big King Crimson I would I would consider myself a pretty big King Crimson fan. I've listened to not all of their albums, but most of them, I think. Um, I kind of lose the track a little bit when they get into like the 90s and 2000s because their their discography becomes very like weirdly complicated at that point. But like, um, you know, certainly like their sort of 60s through the 80s output, I'm pretty familiar with. Do you have any kind of significant connection to King Crimson? Uh, yeah, so I I have a weird relationship with them. Um uh, in the Court of the Crimson King is actually the only, that's not strictly true. I was going to mm. say it's the only King Crimson album I've ever listened to, but I do believe I've listened to uh, Red and, yeah. and Lizard. Okay. Um, however, however, 
I, I have no memory of them since I listened to them kind of in passing probably six or seven years ago. Uh, but I know, I know in the court of the Crimson sure. King quite well, um, Mm-hmm. 21st century schizoid man is is one of my favorite songs in, in prog maybe a, a top 10 prog pick for me yeah. top 10 prog pick uh so yeah I, I like it a lot i've i've known about this band this album and this song for for quite a long time since early on in high school i've been i've been a fan gotcha that's interesting you say like like I, when you said the only you know, i guess what what i find interesting about what you just said is like uh, in the court of the Crimson King, to a, despite that you having listened to a couple of other King Crimson albums, that could be considered the only King Crimson album you've listened to. In the sense that those three records, um, in the court of the Crimson King, Lizard, and Red, all recorded with literally entirely different bands and like spiritually different bands in terms of what they were doing musically. Like King Crimson is like. Mm-hmm very much a moving target in terms of style. Like they kind of have like, they kind of periodically revisit the, um, in the court of the Crimson King sound. Like there's like the, the kind of the Mellotrons and like, um, you know, Robert Fripp's, Fripp's guitar playing. He's the only consistent member. So he's, he's on everything, but like, um, Lizard, totally different lineup, very like jazz influenced kind of a band at that point. I don't particularly love that album, uh, but then Red is probably my favorite mm. King Crimson album. Actually, I think it's like um, uh, one of their more consistent records, and, and that lineup also completely different and and a very different sort of a band. Albeit one that um, after a long time staying away from like the franchise King Crimson sound does kind of harken back to this album with at least one track. But um, yeah, I'm 21st century schizoid, man, what a powerhouse. Like, I mean, I can't, I, so I was thinking about this yesterday uh, prepping for this episode. And like, I, I think, I think there's, there's an almost unassailable argument to be made that this is like the, in the court of the Crimson King is the best prog rock debut i think you could probably make an make an argument that maybe piper at the, at, at the gates of dawn might might contest that but otherwise like part of that is i think a lot of a lot of prog bands have sort of weak debuts but like this is like wall to wall just like excellent and they're like so realized and operating at such a high level i mean and frankly like those open you know, 21st century schizoid man at the beginning of the album the court of the crimson king at the end those are like knockout tracks like you could have whatever other pieces of crap in the middle and i think it would still be a, a decent album you know um but the middle tracks are interesting and 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 have a lot going on too um does that that make sense does that that offend you or anything or or, or no no um, not at all uh one comment i do have is uh you you could make the case that that piper is is maybe the better debut album but if that's the case i think you have to think of it more so as a as a psychedelic rock album than as a, a prog rock yeah album. yeah no right i i don't necessarily it's i think that king crimson feel more like a progressive rock band than than uh pink floyd do for sure mm-hmm. um and I, I mean, there's a, a pretty decent, I mean, it's two years between those albums. And I think that's a pretty decent gulf of time, you know, at which point, like Pink Floyd are also actually like a prog rock band at that point. But right. Um, right. And I think King Crimson, like they, uh, you know, culturally in England, like kind of galvanized the prog um, 
scene. You know, they had this kind of famous set at the Marquee Club, which was their like debut in London. And they um, the Marquee Club was like a big club at the time that like a lot of early prog bands played. And like it's kind of one of those gigs that like a lot of movers and shakers were at and like people walked away like amazed and sort of um and i think 21st right. century schizoid man is a good example of like why people might have walked because like they, they sort of do that thing um two things that are pretty essential to the king crimson sound which is at least at that time which is like all of the band members playing the same very difficult passage of music at the same time. <laughs> so there's like, and like all the instruments sort of playing in, in unison, essentially. And also doing a thing that King Crimson would eventually would be a kind of a bigger part of their sound, which is like, um, not so much a situation where, uh, or, or moments in, in the music where like, the entire band is improvising simultaneously um, mm-hmm. and not necessarily like, um, and th- that that's there. There's better examples of that than 21st century schizoid man. But like, um, you know, this sort of like very free sort of uh, improvisatory sort of space that they would go on to develop a lot more, um, which I find mm-hmm. pretty, pretty exciting. Um, I also think, yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I, I'm excited to, to maybe mention a uh, Vander Graaff generator in a few minutes here. But uh, one thing I do want to say, I mean, there are so many things I love about 21st century schizoid, man. I, it's just, it's an incredible track. One of the things I love that I was noticing on this listen through and prep for the episode is the, that empty spaces, you know, the silence. I think the silence works so well in the song. There are, there are short pauses in that in that section you mentioned mm-hmm. where all the band members are playing the same notes simultaneously and then there's a pause and then they do it again and then there's a pause. I think the pauses are they're, they're just amazing to me if yeah. that makes any sense. Absolutely. No, that that is the hardest like uh, playing leaving space is the hardest thing to do one of the harder things Mm -hmm. to do in music like certain things are like um kind of difficult across the board like uh certain like kind of more like um syncopated kind of rhythms are hard to execute too but like just leaving space and allowing that space to continue as long as it needs to in order to be like rhythmical is is Mm -hmm. is difficult you know and and particularly like when there is like literal silence like that's 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 bold you know that that's right. it. and i think like they were clearly all working you know operating at a very high level musically like i think this is like one of the like oh man i mean robert fripp the guitarist from king crimson widely recognized as one of like the great sort of and most interesting kind of guitar players in rock um uh and and uh ian mcdonald on saxophone like he's he's great and he he wrote this track as well he wrote the music so he's like the main kind of composer on this album um and he's excellent i love michael giles's drumming the drumming on this first king crimson album is so good yeah Mm -hmm. yeah steals the show as far as i'm concerned there's a there's a bunch of good um and this is this is a great track for him um uh can I use uh, the the instrumentation as a segue into Vandergraaf? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Yeah, so there were two. There was one dissimilarity I I found between uh, this song and what's the other one? Pronounced man erg. That's I, I believe it's okay, it's supposed right. to be a and I don't know why this is the the case, but it's supposed to be like a um, it's a uh, uh, what do you call it? Not not an anagram. 
What do you? Is that what it is? Where you mix up the letters to something? But it's it's the same letters as yeah, German. Yeah. It's like an anagram of German. Uh, but but yeah, continue. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. So so the the similarity I found between these two tra- tracks was. Uh, the jazz influence specifically, I noticed mm-hmm. saxophone in, in both songs. Yes. And I, I, I love a good uh, saxophone in in a rock and roll song, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in like a prog rock setting. I like it a lot. Um, not a bad saxophone. I think there's 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 good sax and bad sax. Yes, yeah. Um, but be that as it may, and then the the dissimilarity I noticed was the way the uh, the drums were mixed. Mm. You know in in schizoid man it's very like flat and like empty and and hollow you mm-hmm. know like the drum strike is a, is is the drum strike and that's it and it ends you know yeah. uh like very very sharp yes. whereas in, in man erg uh it was i don't quite know how to describe it but 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 spacey if you understand yeah. what i'm talking mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. and i mean i that's not to criticize either style because i i think it worked phenomenally in both songs the way that they mixed it. I think it sounds awesome. Um, I was wondering if you had any any thoughts on that for either of those tracks. No, absolutely. I think that I mean the whole of that that record is pretty uh, of uh, in the Court of the Crimson King is pretty dry as far as that yeah. goes. There's not whereas like Pawn Hearts has a lot of there's a lot of reverb going on, you know, kind of thing, and 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 everything's a little more like atmospheric and spacey. Um, I mean that's like a deliberate production choice, I suppose. Um, but right. yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, like, um, it sounds a little more like King, the King Crimson album is a little more like uh, if you were like hearing them in a club or something like that, where you can sort of hear everything very specifically, mm-hmm. and there's no like, it's not a wash of sound. Um, right. And I think part of that too is probably the the instruments being used. Like, I think like and and the and Vandergraaf Generator are a pretty different kind of a band, I, I guess. There's a lot more like. Um, so their their organist Hugh Benton and um, uh, what's his name Tony Strathen Smith I think is the saxophone player's name they were like experimenting a lot with like different effects and electronics on their instruments and like um, you know th- their sax player he's actually a lot of the time playing two saxophones at once uh, evidently that was like a big thing I watched some live footage of them he would play two saxes simultaneously stuff like that like you know there's like some weird kind of sounds going on and i think there was a little more like it also probably has to do with like the difference between 1969 68 whatever and and 1971 in terms of like how things were being recorded i think there's a sort of a drier sound a little earlier um yeah you know in in the late 60s um just in general you know what might also be a weird factor Mm -hmm. is uh is depending how you listened to the album uh, where the file is coming from. I guess what I mean is like there's there's some question as to like the master file of uh, in the Court of the Crimson King, mm-hmm. and so like releases of the album were were taken from like inferior copies. Interesting. And so I mean that that's I assume that that's probably not the case with like whatever you're, wherever you're listening. For instance, maybe on Spotify or whatever. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know that that would affect unless like reverb was added in post production, like like mm-hmm. while like a digital you know version of of the album was was being um, put together or whatever. Uh, but but I, I don't think that that's likely to be the case. I think they were probably just like right. I feel like Vandergraaf Generator probably just like 
using a lot of like artificial reverb uh, comparatively, mm-hmm. or we're just being or we're being recorded in a very reverberant space, whereas. Uh, King Crimson doesn't seem doesn't sound like there's not a whole lot of reverb on their records in general. Like they are a pretty dry band as far as that goes. Um, there's not like uh, and their their music is often very atmospheric and often like mm-hmm. has a lot of like grandeur to it, but it's not necessarily like a big like reverby kind of a thing. Whereas like this album, uh, Pawn Hearts, the Vandergraaf Generator album, the Manor is on is like very spacey comparatively. Mm-hmm. Now, had Absolutely. had you listened to Vandergraaf Generator before, and and if not, what are your what are I your thoughts? I actually hadn't. I I hadn't listened to them at all, which gave me a really really fascinating lens to check them out through. Because I think one thing that happens when people listen to music generally, mm-hmm. but specifically, I think when people listen to uh, not current music, mm-hmm. um, I think I think they hear it as normal. And when people aren't accustomed to it, they hear it very, very differently. Sure. I still remember, you know, uh, 15 years ago, uh, trying to listen to The Doors. And I, I know you don't like sure. The Doors, but uh, I, I couldn't get past the 60s, 70s yeah, sound. Yeah. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't appreciate The Doors for, for what they were because I could only hear the era, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, so taking that back to, like... Uh, prog rock uh when i listen to elp when i listen to yes um i suppose when i listen to pink floyd um i i hear the bands for what they are mm-hmm. and i don't think i hear it the way uh the uh, unaffiliated or the uninitiated the yeah. uninitiated would, would would hear it mm-hmm. um but i i felt like i did hear it a little bit that way with vandergraaf jenner is fascinating because i was like oh like i don't just hear the band i hear the prog you know? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, I think like I actually think uh, to some extent, despite the sort of like jazz influence, I actually I, I don't know that I I feel like like I think like um, at least in terms of like the actual musical content, uh, I feel like they maybe sound slightly more timeless than other bands of the same period just because it's a, well, you know it's a lot more to do with like texture than anything else but yeah they weirdly remind i think it was mainly the vocals mm-hmm. and maybe the subject matter but they weirdly reminded me of sticks interesting interesting you know um huh. and 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 if if that's the case it would it would likely be if there's any connection it would likely be that sticks was influenced to some degree by no, I mean, yeah, they um, just have that kind of, I think, like, Peter Hamill, their lead singer, does have a sort of, like, operatic, I mean, it's not really operatic, but that's kind of the, the term that gets used in, like, rock criticism to describe this sort of voice, where he's, like, his voice is, like, it's very theatrical, his his vocal delivery, mm-hmm. um, and, and s- despite the fact that his voice is, like, kind of, it's not, like, a nice voice, like his his singing is good, but it's like it's it's like not like inviting or like beautiful, mm-hmm. you know. He's, he's very harsh, kind of a kind of a vocalist, um, and I think like uh, despite that, that's like fairly like I think apparently kind of soulful. This song in particular, I think, is pretty like soulful in a way. Like it's mm-hmm. sort of emotive in a way that like um, 
I mean, particularly compared to we've not mentioned Greg Lake as of yet. Um, unlike every other podcast we've ever released where we talk about <laughs> him, um, you know, he's a member, a founding member of King Crimson. Uh, he was later in Emerson, Lake and Palmer. He's the singer and bass player on 21st Century Schizoman. And like his, you know, vocally, he's very straightforward. I think he's just like he sings and he he delivers the material. Um, I think that on in the court of the Crimson King, he hasn't quite yet got gotten into this like greg lake thing that he does in emerson lake and palmer which is nice (laughs) yeah no it is good there's there's a little more like um there are more like shades to what he's doing i guess like on different tracks like um if you listen like this song the way he sings this is very different from the way he sings i talk to the wind which is different from how he sings epitaph um which actually epitaph on this album i think is probably the closest we get to the emerson lake and palmer greg lake i i think where he he sort of sings like uh, he's kind of like at like a fever pitch of intensity all the time. Um, mm-hmm. But like, yeah, Peter Hamill coming from a different kind of a place. I think there's like um, uh, a like anthemic quality to this track in particular um, that sort of separates it from the there's two other songs on this. And the Pawn Hearts, I can't recommend enough. This is an album that I um, probably listened to for the first time in college, but then like uh, have recently listened to a bunch, um, if for whatever reason, sort of like the space that I'm in. And I think all three tracks are great. Um, and, but this one's probably the most like sort of like tuneful and accessible. Um, but, uh, absolutely. And, yeah. uh, and like I said, I hadn't listened to Vandergraaf generator before, and I made a point of listening to, to this whole album. Nice. Uh, and so, sometimes when we listen, when we, when we choose songs, it's, it's sort of, not as easy to listen to the whole album because there's you know we're oftentimes we're we're discussing uh a song on an album that has a lot of bad songs sometimes we're discussing bad songs sure. but not that's not the case here i think i think it's a strong strong album yeah and and i feel like it it definitely like um i think walks a good uh it, there there's a there's sort of like it kind of walks uh, it doesn't really walk a line, I guess, but it sort of like manages to be tuneful and there's like songs kind of in, in these like longer epic kind of tracks. There's only three tracks on the album uh, for those of you who haven't listened to it. And two of them are about 10 minutes long. One of them is about 20 minutes long. Um, but there, there's also like these kind of noise sort of passages and there's a lot of like, um, you know, but there's also some of the same kind of King Crimson-y thing where they're they're all sort of playing at the same time and playing something kind of complicated. There's like these like weird rhythms and stuff in some of the tracks. Yeah, um, can you tell me about that like breakdown in the middle of uh, in the middle of Man Earth? So you mean where like there's like that bang, bang, you know, kind of thing like in stereo? Yeah. yeah, I think that's their sax player. So I believe he he would Tony Stratton, Stratton Smith is his name, and he would he would play multiple saxophones at the same time. And like, yeah, I think they were just really into a lot of like studio experimentation to some degree. Because I think like compared to 21st Century Schizoid Man, which is like very much like basically just like King Crimson live, essentially, like there's not really any overdubs. You know, I think there's maybe like a second guitar track at one point, but like for Mm -hmm. the most part, it's just it's or like there's like multiple saxophones sometimes like the saxophones are double tracked, but like it's like sax guitar bass drums vocals and that's pretty much what it is and that's what they would play live um Vandergraaf mm-hmm. generator a little more of a moving target as far as that goes um robert fripp actually from king crimson plays on all three tracks on the album 
Um, and so he's there a little bit and, uh, Peter Hamill, their lead singer was like playing like piano and electric piano and things. And they have this like Hugh, Hugh Banton, this, um, organ player and then the drums and saxophone, obviously, but there's like often multiple saxophone tracks going and like, they didn't have a bass player. Um, so like live, uh, the bass, the organ player would play the bass parts with like foot pedals, but then like there was some bass guitar on the album that he would play. Um, and so it's a little more of like a studio construct, I think, comparatively. Right. And so you get these nice like noise sections, I think I would I would call them. Um, and like and, and that pretty much shows up on all three tracks. There's like some kind of weird part, like scary part, <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. or maybe where there is like a long period of silence and then this like weird in stereo saxophone cluster chord like weirdness you know and i i I appreciate that i kind of wish that there was a little more of that in like um in in prog in general i i think like uh it's funny because like um prog rock is supposed to be on some level like rock with a classical influence but usually the classical music that it's referencing is like pretty old you know it's like the cutting Mm -hmm. edge of rock and roll but they're you know looking back to like Baroque and classical and romantic music, which is like from hundreds of years ago. And I think that Vandergraaf Generator were definitely like if if there is a classical connection, it's to like pretty contemporary, like 20th century classical music um, mm-hmm. where you have these like weird um, oh, we, I keep saying weird because that's not a helpful descriptor, but like, you know, just like the, the this this unconventional harmonies and sort of like it's comparatively difficult you know, uh, to listen to, I, I suppose. And you have to sort of like, um, get into the right mind space to, to appreciate it. I think compared to like, even something like 21st century schizoid man, which is, you know, pretty, a pretty wild kind of a track, but is, you know, essentially in like a, um, sort of like a, a rock jazz kind of an air space, you know, um, that's a little mm-hmm. more immediately recognizable and a little less obscure. Um, right. But yeah, um, I have not looked at the lyrics to the song. I have no idea what it's about. Uh, uh, you, you don't, you don't. No. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, so so from from my research and and from kind of trying to pay attention to the lyrics a little bit, it's about uh, like the uh, Vandergraaf generators sing about mortality a mm. lot, and and you said that kind of at the top that uh, King Crimson and and Vandergraaf generator are kind of like. Uh, covering darker subject matter than uh, other prog bands are, uh, but this one is about uh, specifically. It's it's kind of about like good and evil, like within man, I suppose. Mm. And so uh, those are like symbolized in uh, angels and and killers inside oh, uh, the, right. the the singer, yeah. I suppose. Um, I don't know. Uh, that's an area actually where. The another band that I was reminded of uh, is just obviously a much more contemporary band would be um, Gentle Giant. Mm. I thought of Gentle Giant a lot listening to this. There, sure. There's some similarities going on. Um, maybe the biggest similarity I would say is is the singing, but also mm. also the the style and content of the the lyrics. Right. Um, seemed very heavy, very uh, philosophical. Right. Um not necessarily my taste in the first place it's sort of like it, it strikes me similarly to how uh rush strikes me except mm. that i guess rush is maybe a little more pretentious sure yeah, yeah. Um, i i think that 
I mean, I, I think lyrics are a, like a trouble spot for a lot of prog bands, it would seem, you know, Agreed, I, I, yeah. I think like um, because like when you're doing music that is, you know, you kind of want the I guess the lyrical content to match the music on some level. And for some people that was like writing something sort of like fantastical and like weird, like like Genesis or just writing gibberish like yes or um, something sort of like uh I guess Jethro Tull are like maybe writing about more sort of real quote unquote real topics, but are like doing mm-hmm. so in this very like convoluted kind of a way and very like, uh, I don't think pretentious necessarily, but like very like intellectual kind of a way, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. And other people like, I I mean, King Crimson, the lyrics on the first few King Crimson albums are like pretty bad. Like, I, I think like, it, it's, honestly, 21st Century Schizoid Man has like the best lyrics on the album and they're kind of crummy. You know, um, yeah, and uh, you know, and and the least interesting part of the track for sure, and 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 Pete Sinfield, there was a guy. So so there's a sixth member of the band, sort of in the in the form of this guy, Pete Sinfield, who was their lyricist and would like do sort of like production stuff for them and things. But he uh, he would go on to write lyrics for a lot of Emerson Lake and Palmer songs as well. He wrote he um, co-wrote the lyrics to Carnival Nine, uh, Third Impression, for example. Um, and, uh, and pirates, he wrote pirates for them and things. Um, I don't care for his lyrics at all. I think they're like the worst sort of like prog, like up its own ass sort of drivel that doesn't really, you know, sort of meaningless, you know, and, and just sort of like convoluted imagery for its own sake. But it's not even like, but then like, I prefer something like, like John Anderson's lyrics and yes, I really like, you know, cause they're, they're sort of doing that, but there's no like. He's not like pretending that they're good or something. You he's know, not lying like, to you. Exactly. Yeah. He's just sort of singing. He's not trying to trick you. Yeah, he's just singing random crap, and and that's fine. You know, that that's definitely a way of going about things. But you know, the 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 best lyrics in a yes song are probably. Uh, I was gonna say in clap, uh, <laughs> but we'll go with we'll go with uh, America. Yes, <laughs> the the original yes song, America. Uh, yeah, it's crazy how that song is like so like moving and meaningful, and everything else they do is is so like uh, kind of airy fairy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think my um, we weirdly, I'm trying to think. I, I really like the words to end you and I. I think even though they don't like a little, there, there'll be no mutant enemy. You shall certify political ends maturing in his eyes. <laughs> like what the hell, it's yeah. it's great though. I I I find that charming um, as opposed to something like the rusted chains of prison moons stand tempered by the sun. You know, like yeah, yeah, and like, that was something uh, I noticed uh, in in Man Erg as well. Like uh, a lyric that I was intrigued by was. Uh, Stalking in my cloisters hang the acolytes of gloom. Like, yeah, and it's like, yeah, you could on. just say I'm in a bad mood. Yeah, <laughs> you know? right, right. And I feel like they're neat. They in like Gentle Giant definitely do this too, where they were kind of pulling from like, I don't know, medieval philosophers or whatever to, right. to sort of like, you know, which makes sense. I think if you're doing this, if you're if what if you're aspiring Kinda. to the things musically that prog rock bands were aspiring to, where they're trying to do this like very like, then it, like it makes sense that your lyrics ought to sort of follow the same it's, path. But it's annoying know. though, because it sounds like it's like with, with uh, the example I just gave, it sounds like the sort of thing where they wrote the lyric and then they 
looked up each individual word in a thesaurus and yeah. replaced it with a fancier right, sounding word. Right, right. Yeah, and it is a little like... And I think, interestingly, King Crimson, after their sort of like initial run of records, when they sort of... Uh, in the early 70s, they kind of like revamped the band and put out a trio of really superlative albums um, with uh, Lark's Tongues and Aspic, um, Starless and Bible Black, and Red. Um, and the lyrics at that point become a lot more, I think, like straightforward and 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 uh uh interesting and like and just sort of more like regular like 70s rock lyrics to a certain extent like um like they have a song about like gang fighting called fallen angel and which is like oh that's like an okay Mm -hmm. set of lyrics but like um and they have a song about being afraid of flying and like you know stuff that's a little more like relatable um or even something like there's a track called starless off of um their uh um you know uh off of red and like you know it's like um uh sundown dazzling day gold through my eyes but my eyes turned within only see starless and bible black which is like i i mean like that's fine you know i, I think it sounds kind of dumb to read it but i, I think it's a little less mm-hmm. like stupid sounding than, than yeah. you know like like it kind of it's it's that it's that that classic rock and roll lyric kind of thing of like writing about something sort of simple and doing it in a way that's like a little bit obscure and that's it, you know, and that that's the extent of what's happening. Yeah. Um, cool. Uh, yeah. Any, any, uh, parting shots, Charles? Uh, you know, uh, people should listen to these two albums. I guess I really like them. Uh, you're here. Yeah. And I'll say like, uh, I need to listen to other King, King Crimson besides, uh, in the Court of the Crimson King, which is an excellent album, yeah. and I and I want to listen to uh, Vandergraaf Generator now after having sort of listened to them for the first time. Yeah, I, uh, I've never heard any year. of their other albums, and I'd be interested to. I don't think they they were together for for like they they were only together for like a few years. Then this album came mm-hmm. out, and then they broke up for a few years, and they came back, but were like pretty different. And then I don't think they, right. I don't think they they don't have a huge discography, um, so I don't really know what else to. Their first album right. is called the Aerosol Gray Machine, which I I love mm-hmm. as a title. Okay. That's super weird, but like I I kind of yeah. it sounds very it sounds like it wouldn't be allowed on a plane. Yeah, it, but <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Um, but I I'm intrigued by that. Um, totally. But cool. Yeah, uh, I've been I've been Charles. And I've been Nick. That's 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 the way it is. And if uh, if you heard uh, uh, jingling uh, all episode, that's uh, my dog has been uh, in the recording studio with me. So yeah, say hi, Presley. All right, we're gonna cease recording in three, two, one.